to another episode of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So, episode 37 is with Jason Parks. Jason is the winemaker and chief scoundrel of the Hatch Winery. Uh, What a great group those guys are. As you guys know from previous podcasts, I've chatted with Grayson, who is the general manager. And back in the day, Laura Milnes, a.k.a. Silken Coop, she was originally one of the one of the people who worked at the Hatch as well. So uh, I believe she was actually the first one that got me interested in going to the Hatch and tasting all their wines. And from that point on, meeting Grayson and meeting uh, Jason as well. And of all the times I hung out there... I actually only met him in person about a month ago at the Bisa Pino celebration. I chatted with him for a while and spent the night walking around tasting Pino with him and his lovely wife uh, and Terry David Mulligan. <laughs> he was the the four of us were were hanging out and uh, yeah. So um, I said let's get together one of these days and actually do a podcast. So we were able to spend some time uh, last weekend. Spent a little bit of time at his place, which was really nice. And uh, much respect to him for letting me chill at his house and uh, record the podcast. So here we are. One other thing I wanted to mention was my podcast with Natalie McLean. That was a few episodes ago. She has actually taken it and put it onto her own podcast and put a little spin on it, our interview together. So if you also want to check it out on Natalie's, uh, hers is called Unreserved Wine Talk. And you can check out her her podcast and uh which was our chat together check it out see what you guys think so let's get into this interview with jason and we start by talking a little bit about the brand and kind of the identity and character that goes into into his making wines and the identity that his uh his crew has has created the hatch and black swift vineyards and all this all this identity that he started let's get right into it Your brand is all about being fun, right? So yeah. Also, it's the fun for me is just seeing how far you can push it and how different you can be. It's a pretty we're a new industry, right? And compared to the world, yeah, we're new at sure. the wine game, right? So finding identity, like it's uh, it's going to take us a while because we have so many different identities with all the different soils and weather, subclimates, and all that stuff. So I think you know I'm going to be doing wine for probably another 15 years or so. I just want to hopefully put a dent in. Uh, the character end of it of doing things differently at wineries and yeah. approaching it a bit different and probably fail at it but it doesn't matter someone's someone's got to try yeah. do different things so yesterday i was in stags hollow and i was chatting with um, kira lafranc yeah and i just love just speaking about young young in the wine game right like i love the i love how especially in the okanagan you've got some really solid new young even grant right like yeah young new up-and-coming that are going to be around for the next 20, yeah. 30 years. Right? Yeah, like, fresh, blood. Cool. fresh yeah. blood. Yeah, totally. Yeah, when I first got going, there was only several names, right? And they were the rock stars. I remember being intimidated just to go talk to them. You know, there was just, there was the Tom DeBellos and Eric Von Krosics and Michael Barches, but there's a lot lot of younger people coming up with doing things a little bit differently and, you know, mm-hmm. drumming their own, hitting their own drum, you know, doing their own thing. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's grown a lot. There's been a lot, there's a lot of good people, a lot of, 
and doing good things and doing good things in different ways. Right. Like over there, they're really focusing on the Rieslings, right? Yeah. Lake Country, you got Adrian over there doing stuff with Pinot Noirs, you know, with with, uh, with O'Rourke there. So you just got lots of different angles on it, and we need that as as, as an industry because there's so many different things you can do here, which yeah. is confusing and can yeah. confuse winemakers and can confuse business models and everything, right? So it's good that there's people focusing on different areas to get it to another level for the yeah. next generation after them. As far as where to put certain varietals, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're figuring that out. There's some people that are braver than others. Yeah. Um, I don't have enough time to be too brave, so I, I'm planting very safe here in West Kelowna. Yeah, it, but and, and everything's changing, yeah. right? Like the, the weather is changing a little bit, you know? So it, it yeah, there is, I think we're starting to get that figured out. You're not going to see, you know, people putting Syrah, you know, in Vernon a whole lot, so. Or if they, but not to the point where they have to legislate either. Yeah. I mean, like, like, oh, no, you have to be. Oh, that side of it. That side of it, too. Right? Yeah, I'd, I'd rather watch the Canucks than get into the politics. You know, I, I'm definitely not that guy. No. No. Yeah. I just, you know, try to grow and make the best wine you can, have some fun with branding. I don't get it. I don't really know what's going on out there with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the Canucks suck. Yeah. So it's, it's that's how much <laughs> I'm not into that stuff. I love them. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe this year they'll make the Yeah, I'm hoping they will. They got a good little team coming up. So when I chatted with Grayson a while ago, he goes, Jason's like this enigma wrapped in a mystery wrapped in bacon. Bacon? Yeah, that's how, that's, how, that's a direct quote from Grayson. That's good. Well, I liked bacon a lot. Yeah. I've always liked Grayson. That's such a compliment. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you got a good crew, though. Yeah, they're good people. We've gone through a lot of stuff together. Those guys, as far as I sincerely feel in my heart of hearts, that it's the best crew I could possibly have to work with. Yeah. And we've all gone through a lot together, and that brings you in tighter. It's not always easy. There's some tough things that had to happen over the last little while, but everyone that's there, I hope and pray they're there for the long haul yeah. because we're doing a lot of things. We're building different places. We're, we have a microbrewery going up um, on Boucherie Road. It's going to be called The Hatching Post, where we're, we're, it's going to be like an old ghost town saloon with out-of-key piano rocking and shit, you know? couple more wineries crown thieves is going up here we just bought uh, the cidery truck 59 so we're gonna be doing some fun stuff by crossing over with the wines with the beers and the ciders and we're looking at growing barley and stuff like that and grape rows and cool. just lots of weird stuff and you got to have a really good team behind you that get it and that got your back so that you can do these things yeah. like I, I haven't been in the cellar a whole lot last few years it's it's a known fact but it's because I got some studs in there that have my back and it's good for me to let them grow it's good yeah. for me to let them have their successes and failures like I did. And I love, I love the failures more than the successes because you learn more from them, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I've got a really good group, good team. It's a little nerve-wracking because we are putting up so much. There's a lot of construction going on and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool times, exciting times. I just hope it all works out. Just for side projects, like you can you can leave that stuff to some of the other guys and focus on yeah. these other little projects and stuff. Yeah, but. Yeah, just trying to build... I'm having fun with just building ideas and businesses. It, it's because I want to have fun, see how much, what I can get away with. That's the, that's really fun. But it's also supplying really good jobs for all these guys. That That is the romance that pushes me with it. It's not about, you know, kicking wine out of the park. Like I want to get back to that one day and my guys are feeling that way every day as well. But right now I'm just trying to build good stability within the company and create a different model that's unique, I think, to Canada when it's done. Like, I, we're gonna be controlling probably seven locations, our own little tour company, um, mul like having people so they're doing multiple different things within a company, so they're not just having jobs, they're having careers. It's not, 
you know, the wine industry is a tough game to get ahead in. Mm-hmm. And I found a, a little way to do it for myself. Like I'm grade 10 dropout, not the smartest guy, on the sharpest knife. Um, just by doing things a little bit differently and hard work, it's, uh, I think I found some ways to do that and I want to share it with my team so yeah. that they can all do the same. I mean, having these fun projects is also, not only the jobs, but it's, it's giving things to Kelowna. Like yeah. Some fun little totally. venues and total fun, fun, yeah. fun places to hang out. Yeah. Because, I mean, every, every, every city needs yeah. some cool spots. That it's it's exciting when I realized that that was a thing because I went, first went to the city. They heard about all these ideas because there's, there's construction going on three spots right now. We're doing some pretty different things. And when I got there, they were so nice to me. I got to sit in the mayor's chair. And they said that we were contributing to the economy of West Mm -hmm. Kelowna. And I was like, holy. I never looked at it that way. I felt that was pretty cool. So how does a grade 10 dropout become the man that you are today? How did did the wine thing, like, you did the punk rock thing. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Like, you went from punk rock to wine. Yeah, well, I left when I was... Yeah, I, I left when I was quite young. I, I had I was very good looking. I had it's a story I've told. I like telling the story because I really believe I was quite attractive. But it was spandex. <laughs> it was spandex makeup, long hair, glam rock band, touring around doing bar tunes for a long time, and that that stopped. And I had a child with um, not my wife now, but I had another kid, and that slowed me down for a bit. And then I got into punk rock, um, toured with that. Long story short, it. it uh, we had a tour van and it broke down. And my parents live in Peachtown. They have the Bird Sanctuary Parrot Island there. And okay. I didn't have a vehicle or anything. I was just there because we were stuck. The band was stuck. The bands don't have any money, right? So I kind of went home. Other guys were in tents scattered all around the place. And I had to get some money to fix the van. And I walked into Heinley Vineyards. This is like, this is a long time ago. I think it's might be 18, 18 years ago. And they were kind enough, crazy enough to give me a job. And lucky for me, um, looking back at it, lucky for me, the winemaker parted ways not that long when I was into it. And again, it was crazy of them, but I'm lucky and grateful that they just, just said, you're the winemaker. And I didn't have, there was, the Google thing wasn't there. It was, mm-hmm. There was some faulted stuff going on in there. And I had to figure out, I spent seven years in that cellar and just, just went for it. And the music stopped because I kind of, wasn't very good at multitasking at that point, and I had to put everything I had into learning wine, and it was brutal. I'm just the kind of person I am because I'm I'm all heart, quite a sensitive, quite a sensitive guy, and yeah, there's lots of breakdowns and tears in the cellar by myself, just lost and just did my best to figure it out. I left there. Somebody came in there to run the place that I didn't see eye to eye with, and it turned out I was right. He was a bit of a, a shyster. And I went to uh, an old warehouse down in a Soyuz. No, Oliver bunch of wines wineries were starting up there they had a bunch of different winemakers and again lucky for me I was just there to learn I thought okay I'm gonna be around winemakers I'll just clean tanks and and figure this out but there was a gentleman by the name of Ron Fournier that just uh, recognized my uh, work ethic I guess more than anything and he just keeps showing up every day he'd bring me a breakfast sandwich Um, he was a great guy and long story short there was four wineries getting built out of there. There are known wineries today. And they all had separate winemakers. And one day they had no winemakers and I was the only guy and everyone hired me. And I was so, yeah. The joke is my wife really liked me that night when I got home because my wage went up like five times Mm -hmm. that day. 
because they took them all on. And I, that's where my model started. They all said, well, we're paying our winemaker this. And they all did it to me. I'm like, well, how about you guys pay me 40% less than you paid your winemaker and just support me. And as I improve, you improve with me. And it created a thing where there was greed in it. It was a strength and number thing that had support for it to work rather than, okay, I'm gonna, everyone's going to give me X amount. And then they're all watching and see doing his wine better than this and that and all that stupid yeah. crap yeah. it's like just just be supportive and get through this together and let's just work hard and help each other so i can get you cheaper barrels because i'm buying more we can buy tanks together and get a discount let's get some good grapes and control that vineyard so this the big wineries don't get their dirty hands on it let's take it away from them yeah. so it's for us and all that strength and number stuff i found that it worked real quick and on a business model it allowed me to grow my own businesses and buy tanks and rent a winery and do it hard and keep climbing up right so um, it's a good model. It's not much different than what I'm doing now. I'm yeah. just going to control the whole thing, but have multiple locations. Well, and I mean, I always say that, especially like some people in this industry in, in the Okanagan think that they're established, right? But it's like, if, if you want to be bigger on the international stage, everyone's, if someone succeeds, every, you know, to get one person to succeed, everyone's, it helps everyone out when, when yeah. one person starts to make it. 100%. Everyone else gets, starts getting recognized and getting noticed. Yeah. And, and like, I love, the, I love this community up here. Like, because at the end of the day, when, when people start succeeding up here, everyone's going to start getting noticed. 100%. Yeah. Okay. And that, that's the main thing for me. Like, I'm not much of a social wine guy. Like, I don't, I don't really know a lot of the other winemakers and wine industry people. Like I know know who they are, but you know, if I got free time, I'm I'm smoking brisket or making cocktails, right? I'm not out socializing, but I care a lot about the industry, and I hope that what keeps me going, and and I may be completely wrong, but I'm hoping that in some way I'm adding something a little unique to the industry that gives people the confidence to that that may be scared to go off the path and try something different. Yeah. If I can do it and screw it up a whole bunch of times, um, then someone else might not be afraid to do the same thing, right? And I, I just, if I can contribute anything, I hope it's that. There's yeah. guys that I work with, like the Graysons and the Andrew Melvilles that, yeah. you know, I was working with Jesse Harnden before, who's just real, a real stud of a guy. Those guys can talk, hey? Yeah. They're very entertaining. <laughs> and my big thing is, I was be in the back here, yeah. but I have to get out once in a while and, and yeah. talk to people, and when I, was with Anthony Gismondi. I was quite nervous about it. Terry must have been cool. And Terry, they're, they're both were super cool to me. Yeah. They're both very kind. And, and they check in once in a while. Like, you know, yeah. Terry David Mulligan, we communicate quite a bit. He's a super good guy. Yeah. He's really we nice. We went out of the PC Pino. Yeah. We were walking around. And uh, it's funny because from my perspective, I want to interview them. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just, just, I know they like to be the interviewers. It's like Levy Dalton. If yeah. Ever, if you ever listen to any podcast, Levy Dalton's like a stud, uh, but I want to interview him. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's always funny that when you sometimes when you turn the tables on people, not turn the tables, but yeah, they're like, oh no, I, I do the I do the I ask the question. Right. <laughs> I ask the question. You know who would be like out of the two of them? Like I I I know I think Terry Devon a little better. Yeah. He would be a sweet interview. Yeah. Because he's got so much history yeah, and yeah. he's he's just lived a lot and gone through done a lot of stuff yeah. right I, I like i like talking with him i definitely look up to listen and to listen to what he says for sure and i don't really listen to anybody i'm too yeah. too focused on my shit right yeah. Yeah. but when people like that talk to you it's good to listen yeah you know even the john shriners he's a great he's a great fella you know right. when john talks i listen was there a wine back in the day that 
when you so when you started getting the wine, was there one for you that when you started going getting full into wine, was there something for you that you're like like Grayson loves his Syrah, right? Like Yeah. Was there something that you're like, man, like I am the Pinot guy, right? Like and Christy's obviously Pinot. You know, she loves her Pinot, right? So Yeah. Was there something for you that you're like, man, I, I just love this shit? I did, but it might be for different reasons. Because <laughs> in the beginning, all I was making was Zweigelt and Gewürz and Riesling yeah. at this Heinle place. And there was no new barrels. And, you know, I think they, yeah, I got, it was usually some cheaper fruit I was getting and stuff. And then one year I met Mr. Cobb Frank and I got some neutral barrels to play with. And I didn't really have a lot of tools there. And I really fell for that. I, I was really got into to blends quite early. Like I made some blends back in the day. I did a good one for Serendipity, um, good one for Ace's Wine Group. Um, so I got into blends. I, I felt I had a bit of a thing for, for blends in the beginning. At least I at least to trick myself to believing I was good at them. But I would use Cobb Franc definitely for the canvas for that. So I got really into Cobb Franc and to, to get that to where I needed it to be, to dial it in. I was never into the Cobb Sauv. I don't, yeah. my opinion is like Cobb Sauv's great. There's some great vineyards that do a really good job and wineries and wineries and winemakers do a good job with it. But it's not something that I would take to battle by my side yeah. is, is, is Cobb Sauv. Not, not up here. No. Not here. No, no, and I do like the lighter, more elegant styles. Like we do a lot of fatter stuff. A lot yeah. of times we're forced to during how how we ferment, ferment, and and the timing. Like the production building that we been working out of is the one of the first licensed wineries in BC. They say it's the first, but I don't want anyone to argue with me. Um, very basic place. It's probably a six to seven thousand case production building. We were pumping like 45,000 to 50,000 cases out of that place. Just insanity, because there was one one time within this little journey with the hatch and everything that we're doing where they just want to ramp everything up, and we weren't set up for it at all. So sometimes ferments sat on the skins a little longer than they should have and got a little funky, and, and, and that place had some stuff going on, like had a history, right? So there was things in the air that are unspeakable for some people that, that weren't going anywhere like bacteria and not the most uh, uh, helpful tools to have in the environment of a cellar uh, we had to learn to embrace some of that in a style of, of winemaking scary as hell like just completely freaky it was a brutal experience for everybody <laughs> but I, everyone I think got better out of it but we found some Cobb Francs coming out of there that just I don't know just had a good feel on how far we could push them and what we could do and we'd make them a little bigger you know soaking them a lot longer on the skins you know just taking out the seeds because we don't have time to get to it but let's just get the seeds out so we don't get too much of that, that bitter tannin in there and yeah and there's breaking them down you know so we got to try some different things and find out what works and what doesn't work. So we were fixing as much stuff as we were enjoying. Yeah. It wasn't a smooth ride, but I think those kinds of vintages that we did, the team, it was like experiencing like three three vintages, you know? Like you, it takes, it, it literally in my mind takes like like 12 years to get a vintage in, right? If, if you think about it, like for the average winery, like that you take your ferments you, and how long you're doing it, it's like you're doing it all year, but when you're doing that much wine in that intense of an environment, I think all the the guys in the cellar there, I think they, uh, you know, got some feathers in their cap for sure. Yeah. All these, all these additional things that that play in. Yeah. Right. All the bacteria and the yeast that all of a sudden it's like stuff is happening that you you're not even touching it and all this and all this other stuff's going on. Yeah. Right. Like this yeah. carbonic maceration and all these things that yeah. you're like oh. Uh, 
yeah it's just happening and, and you gotta you no know. it's 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 pretty freaky yeah. like any i don't know like i, I think of weimer that, that feels he's got a, got control has probably got his head somewhat up his ass like we're in there and we've got all these nice yeast going and guaranteed like that cellar, particular cellar we're in, had there, there's a, a yeast called D254 that's a complete killer. It gets into the environment, and if I'm using an F15 or something like that, which is a different type of, of cerveza yeast, that will take it over. So we're going after these really, you know, funky, having some fun with some yeasts on for some white, some aromatics. But chances are, it was the same strain and bacteria that was doing that whole damn cellar because of the situation. Like that's not like that at every cellar because there's right. more control and. Wine makers are able to isolate and do a better job, but we didn't have that option there. So it was, uh, yeah. I used to laugh at it. Like, I used to look at all the different products we have. And just If everyone realized that if we just sat that in the corner, it would do the same yeah. thing, because it was just so intense. Yeah. It was just so so packed and and uh, not not the cleanliest place through yeah. the years. And there's some things that you, it's hard to remove. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, it's fascinating to, to, to see all the potential. The fact that something can come out you know, it just shows the level of attention that you need to put into it. Yeah. To get it to actually be something that's palatable, you know. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah. I think the key is just uh, you got to hold wine's hand, right? You can't sit there and point your finger at it. You gotta, you gotta let it have its. There's days where it's gonna be a bitch and days where it's gonna feel good about itself, right? And it could switch back and forth. You gotta learn how to, how to push it. I think is is the ma- and that's the one thing I did get uh, by accident is that I kind of was on my own in the kind of, I learned a little bit, um, but not a lot. And I learned the limits, I guess, right? So uh, that's a good tool. I'm very glad I have that tool rather than something that would be more technical to make something this much better. I like the fact that I've got a pretty good threshold on limitations um, and that's completely by accident, by default. It's not like I meant to, it's just what, how I, how I learned. Just changing topics while I think of it. What's the timeline for some of these projects? Okay. Like the, um, like the hashing post and different. Uh, yeah. What's what's kind of what's your timeline for? Well, the Black Swift is production. We got power yesterday, so <laughs> this is the, literally. Uh, we're getting water on Monday, and we get to start. We have a new facility, so we're out of First Estate, and we're moved into Black Swift on Boucher Road. That wine shop is breaking ground. The panels are getting made right now. There's the concrete panels out front that are being nice little wall with some art on it. Um, wine shop's going up. So that'll be up for probably late spring in a perfect world, which it won't happen. But yeah. That's what I like to tell myself so I can sleep. Crown and Thieves here is an old ruin that I'm building on my own property, 46 foot high. It's got a speakeasy in it for my band to pair uh, music with wine and hopefully uh, make some illegal alcohol down there. Um, that's going to be up. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I just said that to Dom publicly. And, I, and all the liquor guys are so cool. I'm just joking, guys. Just joking, guys. Just joking. Um, yeah, that place is going to be started right away before the snow flies, hopefully. And that's probably going to be, it's a little more complicated, that one. So probably midsummer would be, I'd be very happy about that. I'm just going to do the production right over there. Nice. I've got a 1937 fire truck in there I got to get out. Um, that came with truck 59 um, but yeah we're gonna make that production then we'll get that place going there's a spot uh, on Goats Peak right across from Gorman Brothers where you see the earth flying there's a project going in there that'll have lounge foods 10,000 square foot uh, building I'm not sure what we're calling it uh, I'm working with a gentleman named Daryl Monette from Saskatchewan real cool farmer dude that I just got along with and he's kind of part of a 
part of the group in a roundabout way. So we have that one going up. Um, that will probably be, I don't know if that will get in next year, but we're hoping it will. Hatching posts were just in the creative stages. We've bought the property. Um, I don't see that. That's probably a good 12 to 18 months out. Um, we got some homework to do. This beer thing is not in our wheelhouse quite yet. And I don't want to mess around with it. I want to make sure we get the top people possible. Like the guys that are in the cellars, they can all do beer, right? So yeah. we've got a lot of skill as far as fermenting goes in the team. But uh, that's probably a good 18 months away. There's a sparkling house that we want to put on Boucherie 2 that's got like a kind of a 50s diner theme. Checkered floors, booths, jukebox. It's going to look like a drive through meets the Jetsons, like flashing neon lights. And it's just straight up sparkling and we're gonna be looking at maybe doing hot dogs and sparkling, that's it. It sounds ridiculous, but that's the plan. Price point sparkling, real fun, real bright, real bubbly, so to speak, that was cheesy. Um, so that place is going up. Um, what else? We're looking at some distillery stuff. We got the Truck 59 thing going. Um, yeah, that's about it right now. I am trying to keep everything right here in West Kelowna. There's uh, a couple exceptions. I work with Burnt Timber across the lake. Um, very small run, high-end stuff. But he's got a piece of property over here and one of those projects is gonna be something that we roll him into. And I still work, uh, just cause he's just such a sweetheart, um, Ricky Dollywall down in um, Soyuz at Lakeside. Cool. Um, but other than that, I'm just keeping it here. Not really looking to, to do much more. I wanna get through this, hopefully pull it off, get everybody working. and. I'll go back to smoking meat and drinking cocktails. I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests, friendsofthevine.podbean.com. Take care. Have a glass for me. Yeah.